Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. I'm Karina, if I haven't met you um, before, said we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, again Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprung up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word Uh, But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. My name's Ron and it's so great to see so many of you uh, back in the room tonight. Uh, It's just Really exciting. Uh, I trust you're excited as well. Well, I don't know if you can remember back to January. It feels like a long time ago. But uh, in the January news cycle, there was really two things that kept coming up. One was politics because it kind of always comes up in the news cycle. And the other thing that's been coming up in the news cycle for two years called COVID. And in the midst of those two things dominating the news cycle, there was one story that caught my attention. It's the story of two LAPD officers who were charged with, here's the charge, willfully abdicating their duty to assist the commanding officer's response to a robbery in progress and playing a Pokemon mobile game while on duty. Apparently, they were chasing a Snorlax. I don't know what that is, but some of you obviously do. Two things struck me about this story. First was the staggering reality that rather than respond to an active robbery, these policemen actively 
played Pokemon for 20 minutes. And the second thing that struck me was, is Pokemon Go still a thing? (laughs) And apparently it is. Pokemon Go created a worldwide craze in about 2016. And uh, the irony of this particular story is that back then, police were telling people to stop playing the game. Do you remember this? Because it was causing all sorts of accidents. So it was a worldwide craze back then. And it seemed like everyone was a follower. Everyone was into it. But actually not everyone was. Not me. Am I alone? Or any, oh, there's a few other hands. There's a few of us who never did. Others kind of got into it for a season but quickly got out of it. Others stayed a bit longer until the next craze came along and they got out of it. But apparently there's some, like those two LAPD police officers, who are in it for life. In it even if they're going to lose their jobs as a result of it. Well, what we learned from Pokemon Go, actually... We learn a lot of things, but what, what, the point I want to make is not all followers are lifelong followers. And that is basically the message of Mark chapter 4, of this parable of the sower. Not all followers are lifelong followers. As crowds start forming around Jesus, Jesus sees where all this is heading. He sees what's going to happen. And he knows that even in the kingdom of God, as sad as it is, not all followers are lifelong followers. And so as the crowds gather, Jesus wants to teach them. He wants to help them understand this truth. And Mark emphasises this point about Jesus teaching them by using that word three times in the first two verses of chapter 4. When Jesus taught... He taught about the kingdom of God. That's what he came for. And so this parable is a parable about God's kingdom. We make a mistake if we rush to apply it first and foremost to ourselves. If we rush to go, oh, who who am I in this parable? What soil do I fit into? There is a place for asking that question, but we make a mistake if we go there too quickly. Jesus is, is explaining what's happening as he proclaims the kingdom of God. The parable offers a lens for the disciples then to understand as the kingdom goes forward what's going to take place. And it offers a lens for us today as well to understand what happens when the the message of God, the kingdom of God is proclaimed to people around us. We see three things. We see that the kingdom growth is not measured by numbers. We see that kingdom disciples don't grow by chance and we see that the kingdom crop won't be a failure. In short, we see that not all followers are lifelong followers, but the kingdom will grow abundantly through those that are. Kingdom growth is more than numbers. Someone said, uh, apparently uh, this is attributed to Mark Twain, but then there's, go and Google it and you'll find that some people say, no, it wasn't Mark Twain at all. So I'll just say someone said, and that solves the problem. Someone said, facts are stubborn things, but statistics are pliable. The sheer number of people following Jesus 
could make people say, look how successful his ministry is. So quickly, so many people, crowds of people following after him. But Jesus wasn't going to buy into that narrative. Jesus wouldn't use those metrics. Kingdom growth was not about numbers or statistics. Crowds, as you know, bring energy. It can be rowdy energy, like when a crowd is protesting about something. Or it can be excited energy, like at a sports game. Sometimes it can be both, rowdy and excited. We know that this crowd included both rowdy and excited people. We know there was rowdy people because in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, we discover that then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Make no mistake, in this big crowd, there are people who are already plotting to kill Jesus. Their plot might not be overt yet, but it's there. They're plotting to kill him. Others in the crowd are really excited. And you can imagine why they're excited, can't you? I mean, think about what sorts of things they've been witnessing. People being miraculously healed, that's exciting stuff. And then they've been witnessing or hearing stories about how demons have been being cast out of people. Well, that doesn't happen every day. That's pretty exciting. And then they've also been noticing that Jesus has been confronting religious leaders. And there's a, there's a sense of excitement about that. What's going on here? You can see why they, there's some people in the crowd who are excited. And then there's others in the crowd who are gathering around Jesus who have started to hear about the kingdom of God. And they're genuinely interested in what it is that Jesus is going to say. They want to hear more. As the crowds gather around Jesus, they have all sorts of expectation. But Jesus isn't interested in a kingdom crowd. Jesus is interested in a kingdom crop. His teaching in parables explain what the kingdom is all about while at the same time clarifying who lifelong disciples are. This is what Jesus is getting at when he says in verse 11 and 12, the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Some are on the inside. Others are on the outside. At the end of chapter 3, it was Jesus' family and the religious leaders who literally were on the outside while on the inside, it was those who would do God's will. The point of these parables is to enlighten those on the inside while enticing those on the outside to come in, to listen, to hear, to know more of the kingdom. But at the same time, Jesus is clear that the parables come with a sense of judgment that not all will come in, that not all will embrace, that not all will turn 
and the truth of the message of the kingdom that not all will turn and be forgiven. Accessibility to Jesus doesn't determine kingdom fruitfulness. Neither does religious identity determine kingdom fruitfulness. Repentance and belief. Remember back to Mark chapter 1? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repentance and belief is what determines kingdom fruitfulness. Kingdom growth isn't about the biggest crowd. It's about fruitfulness for the kingdom. And as Jesus teaches this truth in this parable, he seems to be remarkably non-anxious about what he's teaching. He's teaching about the reality that not all will come in. But he doesn't seem overly anxious about that. Crowds won't determine his success. The crop will determine the success of the kingdom. Indeed, Jesus knows that even one of his closest disciples, one who everyone thought was on the in, would at the last moment show themselves to be on the out. Well, that all takes us to the nuts and bolts of this parable. And here we discover that kingdom disciples don't grow by chance. What looks like four responses to God's word of the kingdom is really just two responses I want to put to you. On the one hand, there are those who through repentance and belief are fruitful in the kingdom and then there's those that aren't. And Jesus gives us three examples of unfruitfulness. Some are unfruitful because Satan takes the word away before they can even digest it. This was a tragic reality of the proclamation of the kingdom back then and it's a tragic reality of the proclamation of the kingdom today. It doesn't matter that you have the best news on offer. Some will have it snatched away before they can digest what it is that we're saying about God's kingdom. The kingdom of God experiences great opposition by the powers and principalities of this world. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus was tempted by Satan, you might remember. And in Mark chapter 8, Jesus will turn to his dearly loved disciple and use these words, Get behind me, Satan. Our world downplays spiritual power. But make no mistake, the schemes of Satan are real. He wants nothing more than to snatch the word of the kingdom away from people before they can let it soak in. We know from Mark chapter 3 that Jesus is binding Satan, that Satan's power is limited, but his schemes are still real. And so as we think about the kingdom of God, prayer is critical in seeing a kingdom crop. Because in prayer... We're asking God to allow his seed to fall in soil that will produce a crop and to limit the work of Satan in snatching it away from people. Well, fruitlessness is also seen in the rocky soil. The word of God, the message of the kingdom, is received with joy. 
Now, we in our society put a lot of emphasis on emotion and sometimes it seems that uh, emotion determines authenticity. You know, if someone's passionate about something, then surely it must be true and real. But not so in the kingdom. These people receive the message with joy, but they don't grow. Don't judge fruitfulness by the first emotional response. Now, don't get me wrong here. There is a place for fervent emotion. Emotion is God-given. And perhaps those of us who are Anglican need to embrace a bit more emotion at points. It's okay to be excited in church. I know, that's bizarre, isn't it? It's okay to respond with thankfulness to God for who he is and for what he's doing and to express that with emotion. There's nothing wrong with emotion, but don't be deceived. Emotion is not the sign of lifelong discipleship. One of the most, challenges, one of the most difficult challenges that I experienced when I was involved in youth ministry was seeing people get all excited about the message of the kingdom and perhaps you've seen this too. And uh, you'd be away at a camp or they'd be at a youth group and they'd be all excited. And then the first hurdle would come up and they'd fall. They'd be gone. All that joy, but no fruit. They've fallen at the first hurdle. And I used to find that incredibly sad. And I still find that incredibly sad. But it's not unexpected when we understand this parable of the kingdom. Some will respond with joy, but they won't last. The seed won't go deep, it won't take full root, it won't grow. There is a real cost to following Jesus, a cost greater than the initial response of joy can get us to. There are nets to be dropped, and if you don't drop your nets, you can't follow Jesus. If you don't drop your nets, you won't produce fruit. Well, fruitlessness is then also seen in the thorns. And Jesus describes these as the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things. And they distract us from the fruit-bearing task. Kingdom growth can't happen when people get distracted by the worries of this life. Kingdom growth doesn't happen by chance. It happens when we drop our nets. It happens when we repent and believe. The worries of this life are indeed worries and we have to work out how to live with them without them distracting us from the kingdom. Wealth and worldly desire will lure us away with their temptations and deceptions and we have to work out how to live in the kingdom with those things around us. And I think for us, this is our danger. The thorns around us are our danger. Rocking up to church each week and and Bible study, community group each week, those things make you part of a kingdom community. But by itself, they don't bear fruit. Repentance and belief is what will bear fruit for kingdom disciples. 
we grow as we drop our nets. Hopefully, church services like this and hopefully your community groups are places where you're constantly being challenged to repent and believe and so become fruit-bearing. But just turning up doesn't make you a fruit-bearing disciple. It's not what a lifelong disciple is. Some of our nets are thorns in our side. Thorns. They're a nuisance. They show us to be unfruitful for the kingdom even when it might look to others like we are being fruitful. But the kingdom of God isn't about appearances. It's about transformation. It's about God changing us to be fruit bearers. Thorns distract us from the kingdom. Thorns prevent us from producing a crop. And for those caught in thorns, the simple answer is to repent and believe. And when we repent and believe and find ourselves again caught in a thorn, we repent and believe. And then we go on a bit more and we find another thorn impacting our life. And what do we do? We repent and believe. Because repentance and belief, ongoing repentance and belief, is the mark of lifelong discipleship. It's the secret to producing a kingdom crop, to being good soil, to not just hearing the word, but accepting it. Repentance and belief, obedience. James puts it this way in James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Well, the encouraging thing in this whole parable is that the kingdom crop won't be a failure. There will be an abundant crop and Jesus makes this really clear a crop that will multiply in incredible ways. And the crop comes from those who are in good soil, those who are lifelong disciples, those who not only hear the word but accept it and do what it says, constantly repenting and believing Jesus. Don't measure kingdom crop by how many people turn up to church on a Sunday. Measure it by the obedience of those who say they're the people of God. Don't measure a kingdom crop by what we do when we gather on Sunday. Measure it by what we do between Monday and Saturday, by what we do in our families, in our places of work, on the sports field, with the oppressed and for the vulnerable and the least. That's where you'll see a kingdom crop. Kingdom crop happens bit by bit as kingdom disciples submit our lives day by day to Jesus. Don't be distracted. Not all followers are lifelong followers. And if you want to be a lifelong follower, repent and believe. And then wake up the next day and you know what to do? Repent and believe. And the day after that, repent and believe. And the year after, and in 10 years' time, and in 50 years' time, what do you do if you want to be a lifelong disciple? 
you repent and believe. And then God's kingdom will produce its crop. It's not just about being there at the end for lifelong disciples. It's how you get there that determines if you're a lifelong disciple. Our Pokemon Go uh, following police officers may have snared a Snorlax, but they got distracted from something way more important. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Don't get distracted. Not all followers are lifelong followers. Don't live for the crowd. Don't get distracted by the thorn. Live for the crop. Repent and believe. Let me pray. Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness and kindness to us. Thank you that you call us to repentance and belief and thank you that you do everything else that needs to be done for us to live with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you went to the cross to pay for our sin, to ensure that repentance and belief would be fruitful in your kingdom. And we ask that you might strengthen each of us in the particular thorns that we find ourselves in to repent and believe and to be prepared to do that every day for the rest of our lives. For the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm Congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmatts.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.